Good morning. It's a new day, and that means new mercies. Open up your Bible, if you have it with you, to the book of Psalms, all the way back in the Old Testament. It's pretty much right smack dab in the middle of your Bible, if you just open up there. And open up to Psalm chapter 28. Uh, to prove that I have a seminary experience um, in, a, in a seminary degree, you're going to find Psalm 28, somewhere between Psalm 27 and Psalm 29. That's uh, three semesters just to, to learn that information. So it's, it's for free for all of y'all. All right, we're in a sermon series that we've entitled Extraordinary. And let, just kinda, let me tell you a little bit of kind of where this comes from. Um, I suspect that there are many people who called themselves a Christian, who have settled or embraced a form or a version of Christianity that is kind of just plain and ordinary. Uh, I fear that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christian who have embraced believing in what is nothing less than just an ordinary God. And there are a lot of people that have just simply settled for what is nothing less than just simply or nothing more than just simply an ordinary spiritual life. And the truth of the matter is, however, that the Christian life is far from ordinary. True Christianity, folks, there is nothing ordinary about it. It is extraordinary. So just by way of review for some of y'all, just to let you know what it is that we've discussed over the last few weeks. In week one, we discussed what is the most extraordinary truth about God that there is, and that is God is Trinity. God is triune. So here it goes. One God and only one God, and that one and only God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each is fully God. Each possesses all of the attributes, the, the characteristics, the essence, the substance, the glory, the will, the power of God fully and completely. They're distinct from one another. So the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They're distinct, fully God each, three personages of the Trinity, but only one God. Rick, can you explain that further? No. No, it's an extraordinary truth, an extraordinary fact. So that's what we talked about in week one. Week two, we looked at what is the most extraordinary news that the human ear could ever possibly want to hear. And that is that salvation is by grace. Salvation is not by works. It's not that we earn it or anything. It is a gift of God's grace to each and every one of us, whoever so dare want it. So the, the, the plight that we're born into, we're born sinners, we're born spiritually dead, we're born on a collision course with the wrath of God, and we can't work our way out of that, we can't be good enough to work our way out of that, but God being rich in mercy because of the, his great love that he has for us, he intervened, he came down, he took on flesh, he goes to a cross, he pays for our sin that we may be forgiven, that we may receive eternal life, and it is a gift, whoever wants it, it is by grace through faith. Amazing, extraordinary, extraordinary. Then the week after that, in week three, we discuss what is the calling upon someone who is a Christian. And the calling is simply to follow Jesus. So here is God Almighty calling us, will you follow me? Which that is extraordinary. Well, that is the very definition of what faith is. Faith is following. So it's not just believing in Jesus, but believing in Jesus to the point that we actually follow him. That's true faith. That's what we're called to, to follow Jesus. Extraordinary little old me in all of my sin. God Almighty saying, let's, let's, let's crew up together. Follow me. Follow me. Then last week we looked at the fact that extraordinary living means extraordinary giving. Um. That God gives new mercies to us in order to give new mercies through us. So yes, God blesses us with a job and with food and with finances and, and all of that kind of stuff. But he, that's not the only blessing. And I wouldn't say that's even the primary blessing that God gives. The, the blessing really is that he gives to us in order that he may give through us. 
The blessing is the opportunity to get to be part of God's global relief project, which is that other people may come to know his grace. So if we are people who have received the extraordinary grace of God, that grace should overflow through us and to other people. And what we're talking about today is what I believe is the most extraordinary activity that any person could ever dare take part of. Prayer. We're talking about prayer. So I've done this each week. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, referring to his followers, believers, that us, we, may have life and have it abundantly. So that word abundantly originally is the Greek word perisos, which means extraordinary. So Jesus came that we may have life and have extraordinary life. So Chapter 10, when Jesus says that in verse 10 in John chapter 10, he's saying it in the context of relationship with him. Go back and read John chapter 10. It's a beautiful text of the Bible. In John chapter 10 verse 3, Jesus lovingly refers to us as his sheep. His sheep. And we hear his voice. And he knows us by name and he leads us. It's in the context of relationship. In in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. He knows us and we know him. It's in the context of that that Jesus is saying, I came to give you extraordinary life. So you know what Jesus is saying? Savoring a personal, genuine, sincere relationship with God. That's the extraordinary life that he came to give us, that we may know God and experience him in our life. And what makes prayer so extraordinary is that prayer is the supernatural means given by God by which we partake of this relationship with God. So what is prayer? We stumble over this sometimes, but prayer quite simply is speaking with God. It's conversation with God. And sometimes that gets lost on us a little bit. Those of us who've been in church more than 10 minutes, you have the opportunity to speak with Almighty God. Folks, that's extraordinary. All-powerful creator who made the universe and created galaxies and stars and nebulas and suns and moons and planets and quasars and black holes and all of that out there. That God, the God of all power and all glory says, let's talk. Let's convo. Share your heart with me. Share your thoughts with me. Let's commune. Is that not extraordinary? I mean, how many of us have ever had a conversation with an amoeba? Probably not ever. If you have, let's talk afterwards. (laughs) May need to get you a little bit of help. Why not? We're human. We're way up here on the pecking order. And amoeba, we can't even see it, really. You know that there is a far greater distance between us and God than there is between us and an amoeba. And that God Almighty, who sits enthroned over the heavens and the earth, he says, let's talk. Talk to him. Folks, that's extraordinary. And it's through, so it's, it's prayer is speaking with God. Well, that's what it is, but I'm not sure that our struggle with prayer is defining it or explaining what it is. I think most of us understand, if we've been in church for more than 10 minutes, we understand that prayer is speaking with God. I think our issue is understanding what it's for. So that's really where we're camping out today, is explaining and understanding what prayer is for. So C.S. Lewis famous Brit, last century, wrote Mere Christianity. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never read Mere Christianity, it is a must read. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, now everybody knows who I'm talking about. Okay, so he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. My favorite C.S. Lewis book is The Great Divorce. If you've never read The Great Divorce, it is amazing and wonderful. I try to read it once a year, and you can read it in one weekend. That's why I like reading it. It is really short. Amazing, brilliant theologian, scholar, Christian. Um, at one point, he was going through a particularly rough patch. 
in life. His, his wife had just died of cancer. All this stuff is going on. Really tough time. And a friend of his comes up to him and says, I know how hard you've been praying, and now God is answering your prayers. And this is how C.S. Lewis responded. That's not why I pray. That's not why I pray. He doesn't pray to God to get answers to his prayer. That's not why I pray to God. I pray to God because I can't help myself. That's different. I pray to God because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. This is what prayer is for. It's not to get help. It's to go to the helper. Prayer is not to get help. It's to go to the helper. Folks, there is an infinite chasm between those two things. Praying simply for what I need and want versus praying just to get close to God. Prayer is to get close to the Lord. Um, so I've, a lot of you know I've got a four kids at home, and so it's crazy. The little one's three and a half, little Eve. And so she's in that stage where we got to play tag every day. So she comes up, you it, you it. And so I'm always it. All right, that's fine. Roar, start chasing her around the house. Beeline to Jamie every time. She grabs Jamie around the legs, and she's like, home base, home base. That is prayer. God is home base. So when we pray, we're going to safety. We're going to our strong tower. We're going to our refuge. We're going to our haven. Pray. We pray because we are always in great need. And we pray because we are in a relationship with the God who is our helper. So if there's anyone in this room who desires to experience an extraordinary life, the one that Jesus gives, just know that it cannot be enjoyed apart from praying to the God who gives that extraordinary life. So let's get into Psalm 28. The first two verses say, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pits. Hear the voice of my pleas of mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. So Psalm 28 was written by David, the same David who killed the giant Goliath. Uh, he was a mighty warrior. He was a songwriter. He became king of Israel at one point. Uh, he's the one that God himself referred to as the one who has a heart after mine. Like, that's the term that God used of David. He has, he has a heart like mine. Uh, he, he, he just referred to as a man after God's own heart. That's despite the fact that David was far from perfect. Highly flawed. Highly flawed. Far from sinless. And despite that, God said, he's a man after my own heart. You know why God said that? Because David had a relationship with God. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all it amounts to. He had a relationship with God. So in Psalm 18, verse 1, David wrote that psalm, and he says, I love you, O Lord. See, to David, God wasn't some far-off, distant entity, impersonal, cosmic energy force binding the universe together. To David, God was a person, a divine person, a divine being whom he knew and he loved. So I'll go so far as to say that love is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. That, that if there's anything that would sum up the Christian faith and what it means to be Christian, it's, it's love. What's the most famous scripture? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Throughout the pages of, pages of the Bible, from cover to cover, how much God loves us, his pursuit and chasing after us. And then, so we were told about God's love, and we're told to love others, like love your neighbor, love others like you love yourself, put others as more important than you, so love them even more than you love yourself. 
The, the first fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, 22, is love. Clearly, the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian faith is love, without question. But it's not just about the love that God gives to us and the love that we're to have for one another. It is the love that we're to have toward God. So at one point, Jesus himself was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments that God has given? What is the greatest? And Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 33, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Love from God, love back to him, love each other, love. So for a long time, in various Christian circles, Christianity has been reduced to basically just ritual. In, in a lot of Christian streams or, or various Christian umbrellas, it's all just mechanical religious activity. Not all Christians, not all churches, not all the time, but in many, many churches for many, many Christians in many, many places, it's just wooden mechanical ritual, religiosity. Stand, kneel, stand, kneel, wear this necklace, and when you pray, make sure you use this beaded necklace. Anyone following what I'm saying? Make sure that you memorize and recite this formal prayer. Make sure that you memorize this ancient creed. It's in Latin. I don't know Latin. It doesn't matter. Just memorize it anyway. Well, you got to make sure that you learn German. Because if you're not reading the Bible in German, you're not getting the true Verstegbadadunk out of it. <laughs> make sure you go to catechism class. Make sure you go, and above all, don't you dare not eat Chick-fil-A once a week because that's Christian chicken. And so you got to have that ritual in your life. So for, for many Christians in many circles, Christianity is simply just wooden, mechanical, religious activity. So what happened in proper response here comes what we would call like the modern evangelical movement and say it's not ritual, it's relationship. Real quick, it's a, it's a quick, I got to go back. Not all ritual is bad, by the way. The Lord's Supper is a ritual. Baptism's a ritual. Just doing it for the sake of doing it mindlessly, not knowing why we're doing it, that's a problem. That's ritual that's wooden and mechanical. So, but ritual can be good. I digress back. Anyway, here comes the modern evangelical movement. It's not about ritual. It's about relationship. Well, that's true, but then here's what I fear. That the word relationship now in certain Christian circles, folks, it's just mindlessly cliche now. I mean, it's like a bumper sticker. It's almost like the punchline to a joke. It's gotten to the point where if we're not careful, it misses the mark of what it's trying to accomplish. What you need is a relationship with Jesus. Okay. Hello, God. My name is Rick. How are you today? I want a relationship with you. <laughs> that is great. Now that you have a relationship with him, go to church, give money, go on mission trips. Like, if we're not careful, folks, that is just as wooden and mechanical as standing, kneeling, standing, kneeling, standing, kneeling. What we need to do is understand what is meant by relationship with God. And it means this, love. Loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind. It is loving him who first loved us. So I ask you, do you recognize how much God loves you? Do you understand to the degree that God loves you? It tells us in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. So the very first chapter of the Bible tells us that our purpose, our creation purpose is to reflect the glory and the character of 
God Almighty, to walk in his ways, to follow him. That is what we're made for. Five chapters later, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Folks, you barely turn, turn a couple of pages. And what Genesis 6, 5 tells us is that every intention of the thoughts of your heart are only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of your heart are only evil continually. In other words, we're kind of walking bags of sin. Here's how our day goes. We show up at work. We spend the first part of our day lying to our boss about why we're late. Then we make a beeline to the water cooler where we spend a little bit of time then gossiping about other people. And then we spend the rest of our day like just throwing temper tantrum after temper tantrum because email got lost, the computer crashed, the boss asked for something, now I got to go get the kid because they're sick. Everything in the day is now not as we had planned. So it's just frustration and anger at the world. Then, because it's tax season, we go get our taxes done. So we just we make sure we just lie just enough because we don't want to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and keep it to ourselves. So we cheat on our taxes. And we do all of that all day long by lusting, while lusting all day long and fantasizing about flipping people off. Wow, you people that just laughed. You just told on yourself. I mean, I mean is that not basically our day? Just like constant sin, thought, what, what we say, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, the, the thoughts going through our mind. Folks, we are living in complete contradiction of the very purpose for which God created us, which was holiness and honor, and we have traded all of that for dishonor and ungodliness and sin and darkness. And if that's not bad enough, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What that verse tells us is that each and every sin committed by us is deserving of eternal separation from God. So judgment and wrath and punishment, separation from God and from all of his goodness for all of eternity. But look at the second half of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What that verse is saying, it's like, this is what you deserve. The wages of sin is death. This is what God wants to give you, eternal life. And it's a gift. It's a gift of love. So let that sink in. Folks, you are more sinful than you ever dared believe. And you are more loved than you ever dare imagine. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we sing. This is why we gather here. Why we crack open a Bible. This is why we, we pray. The God of the universe does not want you to be separated from him. The God of the universe is inviting us into a relationship with him. Not because we deserve it. Quite the opposite, but simply because he loves us. So he comes down from heaven. He takes on human flesh. He lives among us. He never sins. He goes to a cross, and on the cross, he paid the wages of sin. He paid the cost of our sin. He made amends. He made reparations. He paid for it. He absorbed that unto himself. He took wrath and judgment upon himself that we may be spared, that we may receive mercy, that we may be forgiven of all of our sin and receive eternal life. That is how much God loves you. That he was willing to have a whip strike his back and a hand slap his face and nails through his hands and feet that you may have life. That, folks, is love. And now all who believe, who place their faith in Christ, we're forgiven of all of our sin. We receive a new life in him. Extraordinary. And we are guaranteed fellowship with God forever. We're guaranteed to go to heaven where we will sit next to him. He actually has a big old table there. And there's like name cards around this banquet table with your name on it if your faith is in Jesus. 
The spot is reserved. He wants relationship with you now and forever. Is that not amazing? Is that not extraordinary? God's love for us. He wants to call you son. He wants to call you daughter. He wants to call you friend, not enemy. He wants glory for you, not condemnation. That's love, is it not? And he did all the work. He did all the heavy lifting. He did everything. That's love. And there's only one right, good, proper, appropriate response to that kind of love. And it's what? Love him back. Love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Folks, that is what relationship with God means. I have received the love of God and now I choose to return love to him. And like any other relationship, love, at least on our end, begins small. Kind of have to grow into it. Grow up with it. We receive his love, and, and so we got to learn what that means. So over time, as we get to know him and his truth and his promises and what grace really is, our affections for him begin to grow and to bloom. And it's in response to learning just how merciful he has been to us. It's because of that then then we begin to love him by being loyal to him and faithful to him and obedient to him. Right? As we understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross, and now, now I really know what the love of God is, it's in response to that, man, I want to I be close to him and I want to walk in his ways, not because I have to, but because I want to. Like for those of us who've partaken of the grace and the love of God, it's like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've experienced some of God in my life. I want more. And so that love started small, but it begins to grow. So I ask you, do you have a relationship with him? Can you say that you have a relationship with God? Have you embraced his love and been embraced by his love? Have you said yes to the gospel? Have you said yes to Jesus? And it's in the context of a loving relationship with God that David says in Psalm 28, verse 1, To you, O Lord, I call. See how prayer takes place in the context of relationship. So we don't know the specifics of what is happening in David's life at this point. We just know that he's in trouble. David was always in trouble. Always. He found trouble. Trouble found him. Sound familiar? I mean, that's just like our lives. He was always at war. He was at war with wildlife. He had to kill lions and bears. I'm sure a tiger, but somehow God left that at the story. He's at war with nature. He's at war with enemies of Israel, the giant Goliath. The, uh, the nation of the Philistines, he's like at war with enemies of the, his country. He's at war at one, point, at one point with King Saul, who for no good reason kept trying to kill him over and over again. He was at war with his own family. One of his own sons at one point led a rebellion against David, tried to kill him. His entire life was just constant, constant war, always in trouble. So, Pastor, theologian, John Piper, very famous guy. Some consider him the fourth member of the Trinity. I might not go quite that far, but anyway, smart dude. Uh, he's written a lot of books. In one of his books, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says this, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing, owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. So here's the thing. Now, we may not be at war with lions and tigers and bears. And our children may not actually be trying to kill us. Sometimes it feels like it. Like there may not be a, a, a king that's trying to kill you, but let me tell you, each and every one of us is in a war. That thing inside of you 
where it's in your heart, there's that strife, that struggle, that war in your heart where the flesh and temptation and the spirit are butting heads constantly. Folks, that's a war. The flesh and the spirit, like who's going to dominate this person? The war of our emotions, which emotions going to win? The, the war of our mind, which thoughts are going to win? Folks, there is this war, like our bodies are a, a, just a war zone. And on top of that, there are these spiritual forces at work in the world, spiritual forces of darkness that are actively at war against us. We're bombarded daily by assaults from like demonic forces that are attacking our thoughts and our hearts, our emotions, our family, our bodies, our world, our community in every way. We're in the middle of a war, not just the middle, we're in the front lines. We're in a forward area in this world. So imagine that our nation's at war. So we deploy our troops. They go overseas and we tell this group, hey, we need you to set up a forward command center, a forward area on the front lines. We send them with no weapons and no defenses. Folks, they are in a worst case scenario. In a war on the front lines, and they are a soft target. Vulnerable, exposed. That's us if we're not praying fervently and consistently. We're in a war, we're on the front lines, and if we're not praying, we are a soft target, vulnerable. We are easy pickings. And that's the point of that C.S. Lewis quote that I read earlier. I pray because I am helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. We're in a great war, and we are in great need. And so like David, we need to call out to God. Otherwise, we're vulnerable and exposed, a soft target. So we need to pray. So in Psalm 28, verse 1, it says that David calls out to God. It's a trust thing. It's a trust thing. He goes to God because he knows he can trust God. And the reason he knows he can trust God is because he has a relationship with God in which in every battle, in every skirmish that he's ever experienced, God has shown up. Every time. There's lions and bears. King Saul, his son Absalom. Every time God showed up, there's a track record. There's a history between him and God. So when the next battle came up, he says, I'm going to go where I know I get help. So he runs to home base. He runs to God himself for, for safety. So the question is, where do we go when we're under attack? Because what you go to is ultimately what you trust. What you go to for strength or what you go to for comfort or what you go to for help is what you trust. So let's, get, let's be careful and let's be honest because some of us, well, the first thing that we do when bad stuff happens, we run to our friends. We get on the phone, you won't believe what just happened to me. And there's nothing wrong with having close friends we can like lean on but what does it say when we go to people rather than to God? Some of us run to Cheetos. I've had a bad day. I'm under attack. I need pizza. And I need ice cream and a two-liter Mountain Dew. Well, what does that say that that comforts me more than going to God? And some of us, we run to Netflix and we'll binge watch however many seasons of whatever until our brains are coming out of our ears. But what does it say? That I'd rather be distracted by something like that than rather go to God. So some of us go to alcohol. Some of us go to drugs. Some of us go to cutting. Some of us go to pornography. It's a distraction. What does that say about what it is that we really trust or think that we need? Like some of us go to the beach. That's my safe haven. 
Life is awful. I just need to get my toes in the sand. And I mean, yeah, that's fun and all well and good. But what does that say if that is what my heart wants? That's a first before going to the Lord. Or some of us go to superstition. If I just wear this crucifix, I'll be all right. No. Ozzy Osbourne wears one every day. I'm pretty sure he's not all right. Folks, what we need to do is to run to God. Run to home base. And we need to see God the same way that David saw him in Psalm 28.1. He says, he is my rock. Is that how you see him? Your fortress, your haven, your stronghold, your helm's deep. Is he your rock that you run to? You know, I'll say this. One mistake that many of us make is thinking that we go to God in order to get the protection down here. So, God, give me the protection that I need down here. Folks, that is not how this works. Look at verse 7, Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. See, God doesn't give us strength. He is our strength. There's a difference. Folks, he doesn't give us a shield. He is our shield. There's a difference. There's a difference. Praying is not about getting help. It's about drawing near to him who is our helper. There's a difference. Safety isn't something that God gives us apart from himself, as if he's sprinkling protection dust. All right, you need some protection. Here you go. You need a little bit of something. All right, catch. Like he's not doing that. Safety is not found apart from God. It's found in the Lord. It's in him. So praying is about running to our shepherd. It's about running to home base and safety. Praying is about loving that, enjoying that loving relationship with God. And like any other relationship, it's a two-way street. So look at verse 1 again, Psalm 28.1. David says, God, don't be deaf to me. Don't be silent. It's what he's saying in that verse. Because prayer is Two-way communication. It is a conversation. He's saying, don't be deaf. Listen to me. I'm speaking, Lord. Don't be silent. In other words, God does speak. Every time, watch this, every time we pray, every time God speaks, every time God communicates back, every time. Now, sometimes, now this is rare, it might be an audible voice. Highly rare, happened only a few times in the Bible, but God, if he so chooses to speak out loud, so be it. Sometimes I prefer it. Then again, I might be like the Israelites and say, oh, no, that's enough, Lord. Okay, he can, so he might do that. Typically, the way that God does communicate when we pray to him is, is an inward impression. He impresses something upon our hearts. He, he shares something with our mind. He enlightens our mind. He speaks to our spirit. He brings conviction to bear. He pours peace into our soul that, trans, that transgresses, like not transgresses, but surpasses all understanding. So God more often just speaks to our soul in a quiet, direct way. But there's also a third way in which God speaks. It's through his sovereign decree. So God is almighty ruler over the heavens and earth, and he's sitting on a throne where he orchestrates all the details of the cosmos. He's the king of kings, right? He's supreme over everything, and his will cannot be thwarted. What he wants will take place. So then we pray. We pray for the person, the loved one that has cancer. Lord, would you heal them of it? And God's going to answer. And he's either going to say, Yes or no. We may not necessarily like how he answered, but let me tell you, from his throne, he is speaking a yes or a no. You may not like it. I didn't like it Friday night when I was praying for a Carolina win. <laughs> Lord, do not let the evil forces prevail against your chosen people. And in this world, it's a confounding mystery. 
why the Blue Devils would win. But anyway, God will get his in the end. I promise you that. God speaks one way or the other every time you pray, God answers. Every time. Christianity is living with the hope that arises from enjoying this love relationship with God. Look back at verse 1. Lord, if you don't listen to me, if you don't speak to me, then I'm no different than the people who are in a pit. I'm no different. If you're not listening to me and if you're not speaking, I'm no different than people who are hopeless. I'm no different than people who are in despair. I'm no different than people who don't know you. And in verses 3, 4, and 5 are simply just an a, a explanation of who those people are who are living in rebellion to God and have said no to his grace. Lord, I might as well be just like them if we're not enjoying this relationship where I speak and you listen and you speak back. So what we have to understand, or the question I would pose is, do you know God? Are you in a relationship with him? I'm not asking, do you know things about God, but do you know him personally? Do you have hope? Do you live with assurance and confidence of a, of the, that comes out of a relationship with God? Or are you in a pit of despair where you're like, I see no light. It's just darkness around me. So for those of us who have said yes to God, we live with hope, confidence, and assurance because we know that God Almighty has heard our prayers. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know how he's going to say it. But I know he has heard me. I know that he listens. I know he will speak. I know. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. That God Almighty in heaven, of which this realm is literally just simply his footstool. And he looks down at little old me. Who am I that God would take mind of me? Me, a sinner, and God Almighty leans down and turns his ear to me and to you. And if you know Jesus, you can say, he has heard me. Folks, that's extraordinary. It's amazing to live with the hope that the God of the universe has heard that my prayers are not just syllables thrown out into air, but my prayers have gone to the very heart of my creator. Extraordinary. That's hope. You know, there's a, a region in Africa when the gospel, when the church mission first went there, uh, the first converts of Christianity were particularly diligent in that region about prayer. Like, they took it serious. Um, so serious that each believer had their own place outside of the village that they would go to pray to. And it was just their place. Like, no one else prayed in that spot. It was their spot. Pretty cool. And, so what that, and that was outside the village. And so everyone from their hut, in essence, had their own footpath to their spot. So you didn't just have a spot, you had your own footpath to the spot. And it was yours. It was your prayer spot, your footpath. Well, clearly, if, if anyone stopped going to their prayer path, what would happen? Brush, weeds, grass would start growing over it. And so the, the believers there in that area, they were so concerned for one another and they so cared for one another that whenever they would take notice that there was grass growing, you know what they would say? And this is a custom, an expression that's now still alive there. Friend, there's grass on your path. Meaning, you're not praying the way that you should, are you? You're not praying as often as you should. It just became an expression. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So those words far more abundantly, translate one Greek word, uper et perisu, 
which means super extraordinary. It's what that word is. What that verse tells us is that God can do far way more beyond anything that you can imagine. Anything that you can imagine. He can do super extraordinarily beyond anything that you can ask or think. What Ephesians chapter 3 tells us is pray extraordinary prayers. Because there's an extraordinary God who is not only capable of answering the prayer when he answers it, he can do so in an extraordinary fashion, super extraordinary fashion. So I ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that that is true, that God can do way more than you can ever possibly ask? Do you believe that? Because if you do, may there never be any grass on your footpath. I believe that we are suffering more than we should, that we and our families are sicker than we need to be, and the reason why is because there's grass on our footpath. We're not praying as much, as fervently, as often as we should for ourselves and for one another. We're in a spiritual war under assault, and we're soft targets so long as there's grass on our footpath. We're easily rocked because we're not calling out to the rock because there's grass on our footpath. Folks, I ask that we would change that real quick and in a hurry right now. May we be a people of which there is not a blade of grass on our footpath. Here's how. These are just simple steps. Once a month, once a month, average month, 720 hours. I'm asking for one hour. Usually it's the third Sunday of the month in the evening. We have a monthly prayer time. It's not tonight. It's next Sunday from 6 to 7. This room should be full of people praying with and for one another. That's one way of keeping grass off of our footpath. One hour at the month. Nowhere near enough. So on Sunday mornings from 9.50 to 10.15, we call it our pre-service prayer service. That's really when the service begins, in all honesty. Folks, we do it in the office because we can. We probably should be in that other room because there should be so many people. For us to get together, in neither one of these places do you need to pray out loud. It's not more spiritual to pray out loud. What's supernatural is what happens when God's people just happen to be together and they're li- they are listening to each other's prayers and God's spirit is at work. But I mean, showing up, and it's, I'm not even asking for every Sunday, like it, it's a floating shower. You can come in at 940 and leave at 945 if you have to, or come in at 10 and leave at 1015. You don't have to be there the whole time. And maybe not every week, but once or twice a month. Just float in, float out, and to hear people pray, to pray for the church and the service and the advancement of the gospel. It's an amazing thing. I asked that we would use our Facebook group in a way to pray for one another. Our group is only for people who attend Anthem. So let's share our prayer requests with one another there and like it and share it. Well, not share it, but comment on it. I'm praying for you. But let's use it that way. It's just one way. We have a church app. A mobile church app, how fancy. And on there, there's these daily prayer points. And so we could all pray the same thing every day. We're praying together. It's just something to prompt you and remind you, I need to be praying. I need to be praying. I don't want grass on my footpath. I know my Jamie and a few other ladies, I think it's Friday mornings, they get together and all they do is just pray. Oftentimes, kids are sick, so they can't show up. So what do they do? They call in and they put it on speakerphone and they just pray for one another over the phone. How many guys actually text me, hey, praying for you? Or how often should we be doing it for the, hey, wh- do you need anything to pray for? You know, Jesus said that, that his house should be a house of prayer. You know that the house is the people. Folks, the people, we, and the 
Anthem Church, Anthemers, we should be a people of prayer. May there not be a single blade of grass on our footpath. If you want to enjoy the extraordinary life that God gives, you got to pray. It's about a relationship with God where you're receiving love and you're giving love and you're running to him who is your helper. So let's practice that right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's just pray. And praise team, they are going to lead us in a closing song. And I'm just going to ask for you guys to just pray. What is God prompting your heart to pray for? To pray about? If you're here and you've never said yes to the gospel, that's the first prayer. That's the prayer that matters. If you've never received, said yes to Jesus, start there. God, I, I confess my sin to you. I need your love. I believe, Jesus, what you did on the cross. I give my life to you. Or maybe you're here, and you've been neglecting a relationship with God and not praying, and God's tapping you on the shoulder. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've neglected this. I want to pray. I want to pray more. I'm going to pray all day. I'm going to keep an attitude of prayer all day. Help me to do this. Help me to grow in this, Lord. My footpath is overgrown with weeds, Lord. Take some weed killer. And let's get rid of this, Lord. Help me to pray more. Maybe you're sick or a loved one is sick and you need to pray for them right now. Maybe you need to pray for your marriage or a child who's struggling. Maybe you need to pray over your finances, your job, your employment. dealing with depression anxiety and you need to pray God relieve me bring relief please Lord Father thank you so much for this wonderful gift where we can speak to you and you speak to us Lord we do confess today that we need you every hour we need you Lord may this message Change us into a people of prayer who depend on you and rely to you, not on anything else, who run to you, our helper, our rock. May there not be any grass on our footpath. In Jesus' name, amen.